Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 336 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me again this week, your friend and mine, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I am well. How are you today, Chad? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing better than the Reds. Uh, Cincinnati's steadfast refusal to begin playing like the contenders everyone expected has continued into the season's third week. That was the first line of my piece from Cincinnati Magazine this week, and that's about the way I feel about it. They just kind of refuse to play like we wanted them to play, don't they? Yeah, not hitting quite like you want them to hit, and not, at least on the back end, pitching quite like they need to. They're, it feels like they're awfully close, but they're just not not quite hitting on all cylinders yet. Yeah, yeah, I think they're close, but at the moment as we record this, the Reds are 5 and 7 on the year. And are in this fourth place, good for fourth place in the National League Central, not that that necessarily means anything at this point, but already 5 games out of first place. Now imagine if this was a full 162 game season and we were already 5 games out after 12 games. I think a lot of people be well, freaking I mean, out. In, in fairness, in fairness, they're five games out because the Cubs are ten and two. It's true. It's true. Cubs have the best record in the major leagues, tied with the Minnesota Twins. Um, but you know this crazy playoffs this year. Who knows what matters and what doesn't matter? I'm you know I'm beginning to be of the opinion that just get into the just get into the playoffs. However you get in, and then let's take our chances. Because who knows anything this year? That's my position. Yeah. So tell me something, because I've, I've heard conflicting reports, but but my and maybe I just missed something. So my understanding is in the playoffs that the top three teams, the division winners, will get to choose from the other five who they play, correct? Some Yeah, something like that, yes. Okay. And I'm not so sure exactly how that process works, but yes. So, so given that, if we assume, and I think it's fair to assume that the Reds will make the playoffs in some fashion, like I, I would be surprised if there were seven National League teams that finish with a worse record than the Reds. Um, no one is going to pick the Reds because nobody yeah. wants to face play two games that are started by Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray. Yeah. No, I, you know, the way those guys have looked so far this season, uh, maybe they're not going to finish uh, that quite that strong. It's been amazing. Uh, and, and you throw Trevor Bauer in that mix as well. Yeah. My, I, I, the way I look at it is, the Dodgers are really just the only team that I, you know, wouldn't really want to play. But I think yeah. I'll take my, even against the Dodgers, I think I'll take my chances against any team in the National League, knowing that you know you're going to have uh, Castillo and Sonny Gray, and then Trevor Bauer third um, in a playoff series. I just, you know, I, I, I want to freak out about the fact that the Reds are not particularly playing very well, and they're only five and seven. And I and I said before the season that they really had to get off to a, a hot start this year more than any other year. But after they changed the playoff system, there's not quite that urgency. And I think you're right. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I see how they can avoid making the playoffs this season. Maybe they're wrong. They may, they may just play awful for the rest of, the, of this short season. But as long as they just get in the playoffs, I think we're good. I think we're okay. And I think I'll roll the dice at that point. Um, now, do, you, do you think it's a realistic scenario that they don't make the playoffs, though? Uh, probably not, no. And, and I mean, to be honest, mostly I'm just grateful that they've started the season better than either of the last two years. <laughs> Slightly, but yes. 
they are uh, better. So let's talk about a little bit about what all went on this week, and then uh, we've got some questions later, and it's going to be a pretty fun episode, I think. The week kind of started on a rough note in that Sunday morning, Joey Votto got out of bed. Now, that's a good thing. But when he got out of bed, um, he was feeling not well. He was ill. So he did what he's supposed to do, and he reported that he had some symptoms. And, uh, that, you know, out of the utmost caution for himself and everyone around him. And so the Reds placed him on the COVID injured list. Now, again, we, t- we talked about this before, the COVID injured list. There's no, it's not 10 days. It's, you just got to have two negative tests within 24 hours uh, or 24 hours or more apart, um, back to back, basically, in order to come off that list. So the Reds placed him on that just in case. Well, he tested negative and then played uh, basically the next day. So, uh, yeah, whew, I guess. But uh, uh, in in his absence, the Reds swept a doubleheader. <laughs> so maybe he should have stayed away, I think. That is the lesson here. Time to cut Otto, it sounds like. <laughs> right. So glad he has t- tested negative. And uh, I don't know, I'm a little, uh, little surprised that he got back so quickly after the fiasco earlier in the year with Sinzel, who never tested uh Never tested positive, didn't go on the injured list, and he was out for for a while. But, um, you know, so far the Reds have had one person test positive, but otherwise, other than that, they have uh, dodged the bullet so far, which is a good thing, I suppose. They keep dodging the bullet. Absolutely. Now, the reason I want to talk about Votto first is, did you see this story about Joey Votto? You know, uh, the Reds are selling, the Reds Community Fund are selling these, uh, you can get pictures of your, of your face and they place them in the stands, you know, cardboard cutouts, basically our buddy, uh, friend of the podcast freak base. I saw his out there. Uh, Joey Votto asked, here's his question. How about I buy an entire section? It's just my face, like a hundred pictures of me. Is that a good idea? Would that be weird? And yeah, it'd be weird. And it would also be awesome. I think, <laughs> what do you think about that? Should we have the whole stadium, Joey Votto? I mean, why not? Please, Joey, come on. <laughs> How about Joey Votto? And, you know, Trent uh, Rosecrans online had a fabulous idea, which is that every face, it needs to be all the Joeys. We need Mountie Joey. We need modern Joey. Like, Nibbles needs to be out there somewhere. Yeah, really. Let's get him as a a seven-year-old. You know, let's let's have all Joeys, and let's put those all around the the side. I love it. Do it, Joey. And it'll be a good uh, fundraiser for the Reds Community Fund as well. So... Somehow we always end up talking about uh, Joey Votto. Why is that, Jason? When you come on the podcast, we talk about Joey Votto. Because he's the greatest, Chad. The greatest of all time. All time. The greatest hitter in Reds history. Oh, come on now. You're forgetting someone. I'm sorry, except for Ryan LaVarnway. Thank you. The legend. So, uh, other injury news this week. Not a... Not much. Uh, Mike Moustakas was hit on the forearm by pitch, and he's you know he's not playing today. I see Kyle Farmer's in there for some reason. Um, what is a Kyle Farmer, and why is a Kyle Farmer? Well, listen, you don't want to run low on Kyle's, and so you've got to have a Kyle Farmer. Okay. I mean, if you have Kyle Farmers. Where would we get our Kyles from, Chad? <laughs> Good point. Good point. Do we fall out of the sky? No. They grow out of the ground with careful nurturing. Well, I'm glad that we are have a ready, ready supply of Kyles because one is starting at second base. Um, 
so he didn't play earlier in the week. Now he's not playing again tonight. I don't know what's going on, but he's not on the injured list. He's playing pretty well, Mike, Mike Moustakas is. He's hitting, uh, let's see here, I've got his numbers here, Jason Linden. So far, not too bad. Um, you know, 333 on base, 524 slugging, so OPS plus 137. Uh, a couple home runs, six ribeye stakes. Not too bad. That will do. That will do. Now, uh, the other injury uh, of note is uh, Nick Senzel, who kind of busted up his finger a little bit, uh, maybe heard it sliding into yeah. second base. Do we have an update on that? Is he playing tonight? I haven't, I haven't confessed to having looked. Uh, yeah, he played last night as well, and uh, he had one of those uh, Billy Hamilton uh, oven mitts on his hand. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Plus, yes, yes. Yeah, so so he's good as well, so hope we're all right. Every time Sinzel gets hurt, I'm just, I kind of freak out a little bit because he's had such bad luck. Yeah, I feel like he needs to just go a while without getting hurt just so we can all calm down about how often he gets hurt. I think we should calm down. Um, we probably should. I mean, he... He's kind of the king right now of the weird little niggling freak injuries. Yeah, I want to see him play, uh, you know, all season long without missing too much time and see what he can do. He's Right now, you know, I mean, we can look at his numbers if we want, but he is, you look at his sort of advanced numbers, the expected numbers, and he is destroying the ball. And his numbers across the board look pretty good anyway, hitting 280, 357 on base. But he's hitting the ball hard just about every single time up there. And so it's been, a, we're just yeah, talking like, eight. Eight he games. Looks center now too. He looks what? Pretty good in center as well. Oh, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he really does. He looks like he's settling in and uh, comfortable at the plate, comfortable on the field. I like me some Nick Senzel. All right, I do want to talk about some other individual performances uh, so far, but before we do that, the, the Reds made a kind of a flurry of transactions earlier today. It's because today was the day by noon that teams had to reduce their rosters to twenty-eight players now you know before the season jason they were went with 30 on the roster to start which they did and they said after two weeks it was going to go to 26 and then after two more weeks or after two weeks to 28 and then after two more weeks to 26 now they decided they're just going to leave it at 28 for the rest of the season and the playoffs um, do you care at all i do not well you should care about what happened uh after it went out to 28 because T.J. Antone and Josh Van Meter got sent out to Prasco Park. Both uh, both made some sense. Well, okay, I care about that. I don't care about the, the, the 28 roster versus 30. I don't think it matters. It matters um, for T.J. Antone and Josh Van Meter. It does matter for T.J. Antone and Josh Van Meter. they got to go to the fair. ketchup factory down there at Prasco. And I apologize to both Mr. Antone and Mr. <laughs> Van Meter. But... Uh, Josh Van Meter, you know, uh, I like the guy. I'm sort of uh, one of the one of the one of the biggest supporters of Josh Van Meter. He has not looked good at all. Uh, 0 for 14 on the season. Yeah, that's that's not going to do it, Joshua. I could go 0 for 14 in the big leagues. Could you though? I feel like if you had 14 plate appearances, you would somehow figure out a way to go 0 for 20. No, 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 Jason. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Now, you can transcend outs. Well, it's a fact that I was one of the most exceptionally bad players that my coaches had ever seen. So there's a possibility of it. My former right. coaches would believe it. Yeah, I believe in your capacity to suck. <laughs> uh, 
TJ Antone sent down, and the only reason he was sent down basically is just because he pitched last night and was not going to be available for a few nights, and the Reds wanted another pitcher around. Yeah. And uh, so that's why he that's why he got sent out. Uh, but Antone, man, I don't know if you got to see uh, – uh, well, I know for a fact you didn't get to see much of last night, but you saw the first time he pitched. Now he has, uh, let's see, 8.1 innings – or 8.2 innings pitched in his career, and he's allowed one run in his first two major league appearances. That's going to get it done. I mean, if he could duplicate that every 8.2 innings for the rest of his life, he'd be pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he would be actually giving up two runs. I, I was incorrect there, but that's a 2.08 ERA over his first eight and two thirds innings. Pretty good. I, I got to imagine he'll be back soon. Now we mentioned that the Reds wanted to bring another pitcher, uh, needed another pitcher because uh, they sent out Antone. And there was another couple of moves here today, which is that the Reds designated Brooks Raley for assignment which, you know, Brooks Raley had been pitching in Korea the last five years and came back here as a free agent, and I don't know. I mean, he looks like a pitcher, but has not had a ton of success. He's been designated for assignment. We'll see if uh, any other team claims him. And in his place, the Reds' bullpen is going to be adding Jose De Leon. Now, have you seen a picture of Jose De Leon recently? I have. It's quite the beard, quite the facial hair. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's glorious. It is absolutely glorious. Uh, so if you... If you haven't seen him, go right now. Search for pictures of Jose De Leon. Um, De Leon's interesting to me. You know, he was a big time prospect in the uh, Tampa Bay Rays organization, and had Tommy John surgery. He's kind of working his way back, and uh, a lot of people seem impressed. Uh, might be might be one of the threads kind of got a steal there. I think he's absolutely capable of uh, of pitching at this level. I'm interested to watch him. Yeah, it's kind of a you know that's it's kind of a similar deal to. Um... Antone, where you know it's it's one of those he lost he also lost time to Tommy John surgery and and people might might feel a little bit better about him if uh, if he were you know two years younger than he is but he lost that time for Tommy John surgery and that doesn't mean that he lost the ability to pitch necessarily so yeah he missed uh, the entire 2018 season and uh, you know good to see him uh, back in the big leagues and you know. Talking about Antone and De Leon, those guys, two guys, they both had, they both started in the minors as well. But you got to think there's a there's a spot for them in this current bullpen. Can we? I hate to bring it up, but can we talk about this Cincinnati Reds bullpen for a moment? I mean, we can. I don't know why we want to do that to ourselves, but I suppose as a Cincinnati Reds podcast, we have a certain obligation. I guess you know we try to be as optimistic and as positive as we can, but this is kind of the uh, the story, you know. The offense has not been great, as you noted, although before last night's game, I noted they were, I think, 11th in the league in runs scored. Of course, they scored like 12 in one game, and so that kind of skews that a little bit in a small sample. So the offense has not been great. The starting pitching has been great, which we'll talk about in a moment. But to me, the, the primary reason that the Reds are 5-7 and seven right now is this bullpen. Uh, what are your thoughts on this bullpen, and are they going to get it together? Um... Listen, my thoughts on bullpens and relief pitchers in general will never change. And my answer to anything about how good are they and how good will they be is, I don't know, and neither does anyone else. We will see. Yeah, they got to be better than this, though. They have to be, don't they? They don't. I mean, we've <laughs> oh, seen Jason. 
I mean, statistically speaking, odds are there will be a regression to the mean, and, and they are overwhelmingly likely to perform better as things go through. But relief pitchers are strange, capricious little animals, and we don't know what they're going to do from one day to the next. And that's why bullpens are weird and terrible. Yeah. In five of Cincinnati's seven losses this year, the bullpen has surrendered the, the winning run. And uh, in two or three of those, you got, you got the starter coming out after a great uh, you know, quality start, and the pin just uh, blows it. Well, I mean, Miley has had the only bad start of the year so far. Who? I'm trying to forget about Wade Miley because we got so many other good pitchers. Okay, you confused me. I was like, wait. <laughs> he knew it's possible I'm saying his name wrong, but uh, <laughs> um, every other excellent absolutely fantastic but uh, uh but stick a pin in that i do want to talk about the starts and how great they've right. been but <laughs> this reds bullpen you know it's it, you don't want to pin it all on michael lorenzen but hey michael lorenzen 12.46 era again not that era after five games uh, for a reliever as much to to you know 4.1 innings pitch but still he's given up six earned runs in four and a third well, innings He's, and, and more to the point, he just does not look good at all. He doesn't look like the good Michael Lorenz that we saw most of the time last year. Yeah, about the first half of last year. I don't know about second half Michael Lorenz in last year. Well, you've never been a fan of Michael Lorenz, have you? It's not that I'm not a fan. It's that, you know, I, I have traditionally lukewarm takes on players that other people get really excited about. You know, I like to... I like to tease people by pointing out that Micah Owings had uh, a better batting line than Michael Lorenzen. Um, and, you know, it's like I think Michael Lorenzen has been a serviceable relief pitcher. And I think that that's what he is. He's a middle reliever, probably. And that's all that he is. And I guess if you need him for a pinch runner or something weird happens and you got to shove somebody into the outfield, he'll do. But, you know. He's he's not the second coming that so many people seem to want him to be. But he's so strong. I mean, sure. <laughs> Mikey Biceps. Listen, you can talk about Micah Owens all you want, but nobody called him Micah Biceps. I mean, it's 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 true. No one called him Micah Micah Biceps. You you've you've got me there, Chad. I can't I can't yes. re- refute that argument. All right. Don't tell me I don't know how to debate. So it's like a lawyer or something. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, yeah, Lorenzen. I mean, Lorenzen is better than this, I think. He's 28 years old, but and that my my whole opinion has been just hang tight. This bullpen has to be better. They're not all this awful. And when I say this awful, I'm talking about 12.46 ERA for Lorenzen, 6.23 for Iglesias and Nate Jones. You know, nine for Brooks, the dearly departed uh, Brooks Rayleigh. Twelve for Cody Reed. Fifty-four. ERA for Robert Stevenson in one third of an inning, so I mean they're not they're not that bad. But on the other hand, I think the point that you made is a really good one. And if you're just going to depend on the, believing these guys have to be better than this, every team every year sees crazy things, unexpected things. If you expect them to repeat their performance, uh, relieve some relievers on every team, just they lose it from year to year. You, 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 there's really so little consistency in bullpens. And I think that's the point you were trying to make is that why should we believe that they're going to be really good? Because every year we see 
something like this happen, I guess. You know, it would be it would be interesting before the season to to pick a bullpen of like the like seven or eight most elite relievers that you can imagine, and then seven or eight guys who just barely managed to hang on to their major league jobs, and then track them through the year and see who which group ended up with a better season. And I bet it would be a lot closer than you would think. That's pr- probably true. I mean, really. You know, uh, Rosilla Iglesias last year and this year have you know he's he struggled, but he put together what three or four years in a row there where he was pretty darn good. And for yep. for a reliever to do that is it's not unprecedented, but it's very very rare, isn't it? It is. And you know, right now for me, and, and I've said this, my my closer right now would be Amir Garrett. Um, I know he's not, but that's that's who it would be. Um, I'm also. A, a fair fan. I think. I think Nate Jones, even though he's had a little bit of struggles, I think he will be okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, he's he's got a nice track record. He's just he's just dealt with some injury. So I like Amir. I like Nate Jones. Um, Lucas Sims. Yeah, Lucas Sims. That was one of the other ones I was going to name. Like I, I would have a fair amount of confidence in in those three guys. Um, everybody else, I don't know. I would probably add Pedro Strope to that. Yeah, and, and Pedro Strope. Those would be my top four. And you just left out uh, Iglesias and Lorenzen, who were expected to be, you know, two of the key members. I left them out on purpose. I think, right, I think I know. Yeah. Iglesias had enough of a run of being bad that it's it's kind of up to him to prove that he still got it. Yeah, yeah. I, although he looked awfully good in his last outing, but you're, I, I'm not. I'm definitely arguing with you on that point. Uh, I think Sims should be getting all of Lorenzen's late innings. And I, I don't see any reason not to move, uh, you know, let Strope and Jones handle the eighth inning, so to speak, and let Garrett have that ninth inning. I mean, Garrett's been great. He, uh, he's striking out guys. Uh, I have no heartburn whatsoever about that. Uh, Garrett does not wear his cap at quite a jaunty enough angle for me. So I'm, maybe I favor Strope, but uh, but I like me some Garrett, too. You know, look at Lucas Sims, you know, five and a third innings, um, not giving up a single uh, earned run. Has let a couple of inherited runners score, looks like. But, uh, you know, Amir Garrett. I, you know, I will say that I think I think Amir right now, and I don't know why Amir hasn't been used more, but he seems to me very much to be somebody who gets the whole bring me in when the pressure is actually on situation. Like, like he seems to be an elite reliever who understands that two men on with a run, one run lead and one out in the seventh is a much more important situation than a three-run lead in the ninth. Jason, that's a wonderful point, and I hadn't really contextualized that. Uh, but he's really the anti-Rosella Iglesias. Give me that pressure. Yeah. Whereas Iglesias, yeah. give me that save. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a crazy bullpen, but they got it. I still think they have to be better. I think there's plenty left in Iglesias' tank. He just may be a, a, you know, something off upstairs where he just can't pitch in certain situations. I don't know that for a fact. I'm not in the clubhouse with him. It just awfully, seems an awful lot like it. If you look at his splits on coming in save situations and non-save situations, they're pretty stark. Lorenzen, I don't know. You know, I never thought Lorenzen was elite, but I thought he was a sol- solidly, slightly above average reliever, and those are valuable, but man, he's strong. Can we talk about the starters now? Yes, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, that's enough of that. How great has this starting 
rotation bin. Again, with the exception of Wade Miley, who is currently on the uh, 10-day injured list with an inflamed ERA. How great has every other starter been for this team? It's it's almost like this. these aren't the Cincinnati Reds. Well, you know, that's what I was going to say. Like, the maybe the most depressing stress stretch of, of, of Red Leg Nation radio podcast ever was a few years ago when I remember just sitting down on this and looking at the list and trying to figure out how far down the depth chart they were with their starting pitchers and how, what a disaster everything was. And like, oh my God, were we ever going to get a starting pitcher who could get out of the third inning kind of stuff? And what a turnaround. I mean, they got, I think we can say now that they got the pitching. Don't you think so? <laughs> That's right. That's right. They made the po- uh, point of getting the pitching, and boy, did they. I mean, you know, I looked last night at the fan graphs, and again, we're so early in the season for, for stats to mean much at all. I mean, you've all seen these guys pitch. So you know they, they, they've done well, but just what are you I, talking about Ed, the Reds have played have played approximately thirty games compared to a normal major league season. That's true. That's true. Two point seven games for each one uh, for each of those losses. Yeah, you're right. But uh, you know, I was looking at the, just I pulled up up the Fangraphs leaderboards for starting pitchers, all of Major League Baseball starting pitchers, and you know the first. The first uh, screen that shows is it ranks them by wins above replacement, which again we can talk about pitchers' war and you know what to make of it. But I pull that up, and three of the top nine in all of baseball were Cincinnati Reds starting pitchers, and I it just I I got lightheaded, a tear rolled down my cheek. I mean it was it was a, it was a transcendent moment there because I never thought I'd see the day. But it's absolutely true. Now of those. Of those three that were in the top nine, we know who the three are. Who was number one on Fangraphs in terms of uh, wins above replacement for Reds pitchers? Uh, Castillo. Luis Castillo, who's 0-1 with a 4.50 ERA. Yeah, but that's not – that ERA is not fair to him. Not at all. He struck out 17, walked two. Um, Yeah, he's uh, he's fine. Um. His FIP fielding independent pitching zero point six five, so uh, he's been he's been a fantastic. Trevor Bauer twenty strikeouts, three walks, actually has a shutout of the seven inning variety, but point six eight ERA. And Sonny Gray three three and zero. Oh. He is the only one that has three starts, I guess. Three and zero with a zero point nine six ERA. He has. Pitched 18.2 innings in those three starts. So that's, you know, averaging more than six uh, contests. 28 strikeouts, five walks. Uh, is it possible that Sonny Gray is even better than he was last year when he was an all-star and, uh, and uh, you know, a legitimate uh, top-tier pitching pitcher in the National League? Is it, can he be, could, is it possible he could be better? You know, it's possible. I was um, saying recently to someone that I think you know, people get get really cranky about the Chapman trade with the Yankees. I think we're square with the Yankees now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all good. That's a good point um, because that was a steal. I'll say, I'll keep saying it. That's up there with the uh, with the Castillos. I mean, I don't get Castillo for nothing and Suarez for nothing, but you know, I got Gray for essentially nothing, and they were able to work out a three year deal when he was at the very uh, you know sort of bottom of his value, so they were able to to get him. Uh, not that they're not paying him, you know, but it's just. Uh, it's amazing. So, uh, Tyler Malley, he'd been pretty good well, too, hasn't know, he? 
we're we are both Tyler Malley. We're, we're the Tyler Malley Booster Club here, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but he's looked really, really pretty nice. Don't you think so? Oh yes, absolutely. You know, and you're right. And you can go back in the archives of this. You and I have been praising Tyler Malley for years now. And he's uh, first of all, he's just 25 still. Okay. Uh, people don't need to remember he's still just 25. But this year, again, two starts, but. He's looking awful lot like the Tyler Malley that we saw in the minor leagues that was just in command of all his pitches, throwing strikes, and uh, and getting outs. Uh, he's so much fun to watch, that guy. And, uh, you know, uh, do you bump him for Wade Miley when Miley gets back? Mm-hmm. Depends on when, my, when Wade Miley come back, comes back, doesn't it? Yeah. He's on the 10-day list. He's, let's see when he's getting off. I should. I think I've got that information here. I thought I did. Now I can't find it. But um, I, you know. I saw pitching rotation coming up. He was not in it. So yeah. I think Malley's got at least one more start coming, right? At least, yeah, at least. And he's been fortunate. So let's, let's say Malley gets three more starts and pitch like he has up until now. How do you? Yeah, how do you take him out? Zero is one point eight right now. Yeah. You know, uh, he, he he was. Uh, that swing roll, that sixth starter, he's actually gotten, uh, you know, <laughs> all the starts that he could have if he was in the rotation star because he started for Di Scafani early on. Di Scafani yes. came back, and then Wade Miley promptly left. So so Miley's been in the rotation. But, I, again, I think – well, actually, I wonder. You know, I think in a normal season, they probably insert Wade Miley right back into the rotation as soon as he's ready because they sign him as a free agent, and, you know, he's had success at the big league level, and that's just the way baseball has operated. In this short yeah. season, if if Malley conti- continues to pitch well, I, I don't see how you justify dropping him to the bullpen or, heaven forbid, sending him to, to the catch-up factory. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you do a six-man rotation or something there for a little bit. But, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't if, if he continues to pitch, I think the Reds have to stick with the, the hot hand, as it were. Yeah, I think so. I think so, uh, you know. We have a viewer mail question that's kind of that's sort of like this, but uh, that we'll we'll go ahead and maybe kind of preview that with all the double headers that are going to be going on around baseball for the rest of the year, these seven inning double headers. You, you you can probably get that's the reason T.J. Antone started, so they didn't have to push Luis Castillo up in his, uh, and pitch him on uh, less than ideal rest. So yeah. they're going to be they're going to be opportunities. You may you may go six. You may get Mally and Miley. Mally and Miley. They may just, they may just share those. Uh, those extra starts. I don't know. I'm interested to see what they do. Hey, Chad, can I ask you a question real quick? Of course. Being from where you're from and, and sounding the way that you sound when you talk, <laughs> how that? hard is it to pronounce Mally and Miley differently? I, I, I say it and in my head. It sounds different, but I don't know what you all are hearing. <laughs> Mally, Miley, 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 Miley. Oh man. I tell you what, I take some abuse here. You know, I don't have to deserve. I don't have to take this abuse. I've got hundreds of people dying to abuse me. I don't have to take it from you. I mean, I guess you don't. But then, where's all of your all of your listenership going to go? It's a good point. It's a good question. So let's talk about the offense here. And we've talked individually about a couple of players. We've talked about Sinzel. We've talked about Mustakas. We've talked about Vado. A little bit about Vado. Um. Let's talk about some other uh, individual guys. The one guy I want to talk about, you and I have uh, long been fans of Tyler Malley, as we just said. Another guy that's always been up near the top of our list is uh, Jesse Winker. And, 
boy, Jesse Winker is struggling right now. I mean, there are there are a few hitters who are struggling right now, but yeah, Winker. 143 average, 314 on base, 143 slugging. I mean, he's uh, got 35 plate appearances and four hits. No extra base hits, one RBI. Just not good. And boy, you know, I, no. dip, I dipped my toe back into Twitter just during the games. And let me tell you, uh, aside from David Bell, I don't think anyone has hated as much amongst the, uh, the Twitterati as... Jesse Winker. I mean, get him out of the lineup. Why is he even playing? He's awful. He's always been awful. He's not ever going to be good. You know, mute. You know, mute, I think mute. I have a little bit more of a discerning Twitter following than you do, Chadwick. Well, um, so I, I've not quite seen that that much. But I mean, he's had a rough start of the season. I, and with hitters, especially, I do think this is an issue where where sample size matters. Because I mean, you know, if somebody has thirty plate appearances where they struggle over the course of the season. You kind of figure that's going to happen to everybody over the course of a normal season. The issue now is that that's just such a huge chunk of your overall playing time. I mean, that's it's equivalent to what about a hundred plate appearances? Yeah, like yeah, I mean that's or a... something. But so struggle, you know, it, everything just feels so outsized right now. Yeah, yeah, completely magnified. Uh, you know, if we still had another, you know, 150 games to go in a regular season, we'd be like, oh boy, he's really not looking good right now. But you know, he's going to be fine. And and David Bell, you know, he's the Reds manager. David Bell, I liked his uh, response when he was asked about it. No concern. Uh, Jesse Winker's a natural hitter. Sometimes it takes a while to get going. It's a new role for him, talking about the designated hitter. It's nice to get him a game here and there in the outfield. I don't want to put him in a situation where he thinks or we see him as DH for the rest of his career or anything like that. But uh, but no concern. And I guess no concern for me either because I know Jesse Winker has always hit right-handed pitchers everywhere he's been for his entire life since he was four years old he figured out how to hit right-handed pitchers and so no i'm not one bit uh you know upset or disappointed but it's it's magnified he's got to get it going soon because there's not a lot of season left but he will right and i i agree completely i don't know i don't know what else to say to it you know we'll see i mean i assume he'll get it going pretty quick um, Shogo Akiyama, not a good start for Shogo, 212 average, 278 on base, 273 slugging, no home runs, couple RBIs, does have a couple doubles, but uh, not a great start, which is, you know. Now, I mean, he is one really, though, where I think you you really, really have to pay attention to, to the sample size there, because like, you know, he's got... 33 at bats and yeah he's hitting 212 but i mean the difference between 212 and you know wow he's having a nice start to the season is he's got seven hits if he had nine we wouldn't even be bringing him up oh sure absolutely it's true that's absolutely true and he's hit the ball right at people a couple times and yeah i I always thought he might struggle a little bit early on anyway he's seen very little pitching in the states and so uh you could see him put together a you know fifteen game hitting streak here, and he's off and running. So. Yeah, and I mean he's kind of like the the worst version of of kind of what's happened to Votto, where Votto's overall numbers are pretty good, but he has just clubbed the ball straight at people a couple of times, and you know this early in the season, you know those three or four that are hits ninety percent of the time, but 
you get an unlucky run and they're not hits and it it kills your line at this point. Yeah, yeah. No issues with how Votto was played. Uh, Mustox we talked about. Freddie Galvis has basically been, you know, Freddie Galvis. Uh, got on a base, a decent clip for him. Uh, so I want to talk about the one guy that's really been uh, disappointing, I guess is the word, and the one guy that's been amazing. So let's go with our guy Gino first. Eugenio Suarez. He's uh, below the Mendoza line, hitting 098. 245 on base, 220 slugging, just one home run, a couple of doubles. Uh, boy, Suarez just, uh, he can't get it going just yet, can he? I mean, he's had a hard time. I feel like he's got to be probably behind everybody else because he did have the shoulder injury uh, that kept him out most of spring. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's been taking walks still. Um, his strikeout rate is a little high, but it's not that concerning. So uh, I have a hard time feeling too worried about Gino. There have been a, he's had a few balls he hit that were pretty hard and resulted now. So I, I think that he. Let's put it this way. He's not going to go from being the player he was the last several years to all of a sudden being terrible. So I, I'm not too worried about Gino. Yeah, I don't think he's looked uh, quite right so far this year. But on the other hand, he's Gino. And, uh, you know, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine, I think. Uh, the, the, the deal is, though, that in, in most years, you and I would be here saying, you know what? Just relax. There's 150 games to go. And so I think just the fact that this season's so compressed that all of this seems much worse makes people more frantic because, hey, we're in August and he's still hitting 098. But we, we have to sort of approach it the same way, don't we? Just like, you know, he's a good player. He's not going to be awful for the rest of the season. We've seen plenty of him in his career to know that at age 28, he's not going to all of a sudden just fall off a cliff. So we just kind of need to relax about all this stuff, I think, don't we? I think to some extent, yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's strange. This is this is a baseball season like everything else in the world right now that is unlike anything we've ever seen before. It's and, true. And, you know, I think at the end of the season maybe we'll be able to actually analyze it, but right now I just kind of feel lost trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, you're right. There's nothing really to compare it to. So I'm going to predict here and now, though, and write this down. And someone can call me on it later if it uh, doesn't come true. But I'm I'm going to say right now, Eugenio Suarez's batting average will improve by the end of the season. Wow, that's a bold prediction, Chad. Well, I'm just saying. Look, I'm just saying. I yeah, I've, I've walked that on that ledge a few times, and this is one. Uh, I'm willing to not on the ledge, out on a, out on a limb. I've been on a ledge some this last couple of weeks too, but with this Reds team. But I just I think he's going to hit higher than 98. So we'll see. All right. Now, the one guy who just continues to mash the ball, National League Most Valuable Player candidate, Nick Castellanos, National League Player of the Week, uh, in fact. Six home runs in 12 games. That's on that's on pace for 81 home runs in a full season. Tied with Aaron Judge for the Major League leading home runs, 13 RBIs, 366 average. This is the Castellanos there. I was like, when you really kind of dreamed about, oh, those doubles and then coming to Great American Ballpark, and he's just going to love this park. This is the yeah. Castellanos we were hoping for, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> That's all you got to say about Castellanos. He's been great. And, you know, gosh, I mean, just... 
he just I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it. I'm stumbling over myself a little bit, but just he also was just so much fun to watch. Like he seems like he's having fun. I you know, I really liked the thing where he didn't like getting pulled for a defensive replacement, so he's like, Alright, I'm gonna go shag some fly balls. Like just, you know, yes. More of Nick Castellanos, please. I agree. Now, I, I liked a little bit less. I liked the Nick Castellanos who uh, allowed three runs to score on a uh, on an error on a ball he should have caught uh, in the outfield and uh, allowed the game to get tied up. I didn't like that Castellanos, but overall, I'm just I'm thrilled with Castellanos. And uh, we've got another question about him here in viewer mail that we'll get to in just one moment. So let's uh, let's take a pen to that for just a second. Let's get into some viewer mail questions. What do you think, Jason? Let let us discuss the listener mail. Viewer mail comes from patreon.com slash redlegradio where you too can support the podcast and uh, get your questions answered first here on the podcast. First comes from Jason's friend, Philip Razor. Philip's question is this. Gentlemen, since I signed up for the Patreon before you guys started saying what position a new member is, I never got a position. What position do I play? Thank you. I'll take the answer off the air. Thank you for that, Mr. Razor. Yeah, that is our custom when we get new uh, patrons to assign them a position. Now, Jason, what do you think? What, what position is Phil Razor? Um, bullpen catcher. Bullpen catcher. Is he, is he a pretty good bullpen catcher or just sort of average? I mean, Chad, you know who Phil is. <laughs> Wait, he's, it's been... He's been he's been somehow managing to hold on to the bullpen catcher gig for a long time. His his position is now is now more ceremonial, and people are just wishing that he'd stop humiliating himself and, and go find something else to do. Ouch. Well, for the record, Philip, I was going to say that uh, you were an ace starting pitcher, the number one in the rotation, dominant. You were right <laughs> right handed, just you strikes everybody. Right- Listen, we both know that Phil is just going to be overly thrilled that we've said his name this many times on the podcast. And yeah, thanks <sighs> thanks for supporting us, us Phil. Uh, next next name we're going to mention on the podcast is Andrew Scott Wills, who has three names. Andrew asks, "Has anyone else noticed how much Jim Day slimmed down over the off season? Quite impressive. Have you noticed that, Jason?" Uh, I cannot say that I have paid attention to that particular thing. I'm constantly looking at uh, Jim Day's uh, physique and kind of, you know, assessing how many uh, Jim Days he skipped. So I have noticed. Good for I him. I mean, I guess we don't have pandemic hobbies. <laughs> that, and that was that was his. So Jim Day's Jim Day, Jim Day's Jim Day. Well, whatever. Uh, I want to, you know, we talk about Suarez. I want to hear Suarez talk about Jim Day again. Scotter Webker asks, so are we signing Nick Castellanos to an eight-year, $250 million extension or not? What about if he wins an MVP? Well, the answer is not for either of those questions. Not that we sh- the Reds shouldn't sign him to an eight-year, $250 million extension. But he's under, he's under a four-year contract right now, kind of. And Jason, that's a question I wanted to ask you was, the conventional wisdom lately has been that short season... Teams have lost money. They're not going to be able to sign players, as many players in the offseason. Castellanos is definitely not opting out. Well, what if he plays some version of his current self the whole season? I bet he could opt out and convince somebody to give him an eight-year, $250 million contract. So do you think that you know, Castellanos' chances of opting out are, are greater 
I I doubt that he's going to opt out this year, but if he plays really well for the last six weeks of the season, I think it would be very tempting for the Reds to come to him and be, especially if the playoffs go well, and be like, listen, clearly we've got a winner here. We want to make sure that you don't opt out. Let's let's get this worked out. Reevaluate the uh, the contract with yeah. technically three more That's years remaining. Good. Well, so maybe maybe Skyler's right. You know, maybe the the Reds. I don't know. I just I keep waiting for the uh, news to leak out how the Reds have been so hurt by what all's going on in baseball this year. Their their bottom line and uh, they're not be handing out contracts like that. We'll see. I don't know, but. Uh, I don't know that I would sign Castellanos to that contract right this second anyway, because we talked about signing Sonny Gray at the, or traded for him and extended him at the, the low point of his value. We're kind of at the, the high point for, for Nick Castellanos. Indeed. Indeed we are. Joey Gattaca asks at patreon.com slash Radio. Hey guys, well, this team continues to frustrate. Yeah, tell me about it, Joey. I can't help but think everything will take shape uh, right quick here. It has to. My question is, no respect, any disrespect to any players at all, but isn't it time to let Aristides Aquino DH for a while? I love me some wink, but man, oh man, few other guys should be hitting, few other guys should be hitting more I know, but I'd like to see Aquino DH for a stretch. Take care and go Reds. Thank you for the question, Joey. I guess my thought on that is I don't have any problem with Aquino DH. I'd rather have Aquino DH than Matt Davidson, for example. Well, that's my question is why is, why is, why isn't Aquino getting Davidson's at bats? Like, I mean, I know that Davidson's Rule Five, right? So he has to stay on the roster the whole year, blah blah blah. But like, does anybody? I mean, do, do we really think that Matt Davidson is any better than Aristides Aquino? I don't think Matt Davidson is a Rule Five guy. You got me. You got me. Uh, or is it Jankowski that's a Rule Five guy? No, it was. Uh, it was uh, the guy that we already lost and sent him back to the Padres. Um, well, there, there are so many weird little acquisitions Hayden. this yeah, Mark- summer. It's hard. So it's it's Mark Payton. So that's that's oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. So now why why is I don't understand why I can't again the Reds know more than I do. But uh, Matt Davidson over Aquino for the right-handed DH makes no sense to me. Yeah. No, I don't know why you, I w- I would put Aquino as my right-handed DH, especially if Irvin is going to play the outfield on those days. Right. Yeah. Now to Joey's question, I would Jason and I would both like to see Aquino DHing uh, occasionally. But I don't see taking the bats from Jesse Winker because again we don't want Jesse Winker hitting against left-handed pitchers, and that's who we do want Aquino hitting against. And you know, I just Jesse Winker has been too good for too long. He's he's not this bad. So, but the, the whole Aristides Aquino thing just uh, baffles me at this point. Not that he's some world beater. I mean, he was great last year in his first month, but he can't even get on a twenty-eight man roster. I mean, how's that possible? I don't know. I don't know. Unless they're maybe playing with his service time a little bit, it seems weird. Yeah, I don't know. Joe Farsing asks, why do the Reds continue to hate us fans? The Reds do hate us, you know. Do hate what? They hate us. They hate the fans. I, uh, what? They need to win. Okay. They, they just lose <laughs> and give us headaches. I am pro Reds winning and pro de-stressing my life with Reds games. Like what I really need is a good, you know, eleven to two victory. That would that would hit the spot. I just need a four-game winning streak. 
okay, let's get a, a couple of games over 500. We start feeling a, bit, a little bit better about this team. But they've not played consistently well all year long. And it comes on the heels of some awful seasons. So, you know, Joe's point is, uh, you know, why can't we just have something nice in this town? And it appears we can't. Thomas Dennis has two questions. First, what are your thoughts on the fan experience for the games? Um, he says, I think the tap to cheer feature in the NBA where you can interact with the game from your mobile device is awesome. The more people that cheer, the louder the sound in the arena is if you're not familiar with it. I was not familiar with that. So that's his first question. The fan experience for the games. Uh, the experience has been no different for me, basically, when I'm watching on television. I, I don't really have any thoughts on it. Tap to cheer, whatever. That sounds like fun. If you like it, good. I haven't watched any NBA, so I didn't, didn't realize that was a thing. Um, but I don't know what else they could really do to make the fan experience better. Any thoughts, Jason? <clears throat> I don't know. How, how, how nice do I have to be, Chad? <laughs> you say whatever you want to say. <laughs> I mean, there's some announcing talent that could be dealt with. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm sorry. I don't know how. I don't know how you can say some of the things that he has said and still maintain your position. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. are many. There are many jobs where you would be fired, and yet no repercussions seem to happen. So here we are. Does every team have an announcer like that? that the fan base no. just doesn't like. No. Well, I say that because, you know, I, I really didn't care for uh, George Grant when he was here. And, you know, now when he comes back occasionally, he's delightful. I wonder if it's just this guy's been calling games uh, during a really bad time to be a Reds fan. And so, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm grasping. You you are indeed grasping, <laughs> and I'm glad that you know it and acknowledge it. I don't acknowledge it. Brian Bowdy asks... Which celebrity Reds fan is most likely to have spent a game on the Reds grounds crew this year? It's the only way to see games in person, and they're wearing masks to protect their identity. It has to be Charlie Sheen, right? Hash brown tiger blood. Which celebrity Reds fan is most likely to have spent a game on the Reds grounds crew this year? Got to be Melissa McCarthy, right? Is she a Reds fan? She has to be. She's so delightful in every other respect. I mean, what about, you know, there's always my, my, I mean, the, the, the one who's by far is most likely to have actually tried to pull something like that off is Freak Face, who still lives locally. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe what about, we haven't heard much from Hootie in a while. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's, he's in disguise at the Reds games. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's Hootie. Uh, maybe it's George Clooney. I skipped over uh, Thomas Dennis' second question. I do want to just at least address it because I, I referred to it earlier. He said, also seems like there's going to be quite a few doubleheaders late in the season. Who are the Reds' options for the seventh starter other than Antone? And my answer to that is Antone's the only guy you need if you have to have seven starters because you got uh, you got Mally as well in there. That's assuming everybody else ahead of him is, is healthy. After Antone, probably Jose De Leon, I guess, is the next guy. I don't know. Uh, let's, hope we, let's hope we don't have to, don't have to do that. I mean, after that, you've got De Leon, you've got Sims, who's got a history of starting. Uh, you've maybe got Santian. Um, and I, I think a lot of that would just depend on the moment. Yeah. Scott McGinnis's question at patreon.com slash redlegradio. And this is, there's only one correct answer to this, Jason. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and then I'll let you think for a moment. 
and uh, come up with the, the one correct answer. If you could take any one former Reds player to plug into the lineup for the rest of the year to help turn things around, who would it be? One former Reds player to plug into the lineup for the rest of the year to help turn things around. This is like retired or not retired. What Anything is fine, right? I'm saying, yeah, alive or dead. Well, I mean, give me Johnny Bench and let's go. Ooh, I was going to say uh, Barry Larkin. Well, Barry, Barry, I mean, Freddie Galveston and Tucker are both delightful. But, yeah, I mean, catcher and shortstop are the weak, weak, weak links on the team offensively, certainly. So, so either Barry Larkin or Johnny Bench. Yeah, we uh, we had similar thoughts there. Where's our weak weak point? Now, if you could pick one former uh, reliever, Reds reliever, to plug into the lineup for the rest of the year to help this bullpen, who would you pick? I, mean, I think it's got to be John. Got to be John Kutlangas, right? Got to be David Weathers, man. Come on, David Weathers, Stormy Weathers. Sometime I'm going to go back and listen to the early podcast and hear what we said about David Weathers. I'm sure it was unkind, and I apologize to uh, David's mom if she's listening. Jeff Euchler asks, when Michael Lorenzen comes in, I switch to Netflix and watch an episode of Community. What does everyone else watch? I watched Lorenzen, uh-huh. and then I watched The World Burn. It's funny. Uh, Next question. F- funny question, Jeff. I like it. Uh, I've watched half of an episode of Community. You ever see Community? I've not. You know, everybody tells me it's great. I'm I'm going to get back into it at some point, but uh, a lot of people are liking it. DJ Norman, DJ Norman asks, "Do you think he's actually a DJ?" Um, I don't know. I guess he needs to write back and let us know. Yeah, let us know if you're actually a DJ. And I want to need some uh, photographic confirmation of you uh, spinning some of the, some of those uh, vinyl discs, whatever they're called. I was already aware of this, but it hit me the other day that Joey Votto has seven on-base titles. If those were hitting titles, or if historically we thought of on-base percentage being more important than average, would he already be a lock for the Hall of Fame? I think yes. Yeah. And, I mean, I know that you know this, Chad, but but I am very fond of quoting the list of players who have as many on-base titles as Joey Votto. And it is a short and esteemed list. It's uh, I might I might miss one or two here because I haven't looked it up for a bit, but it is I believe Cobb, Hornsby, Ruth, Williams, Bonds, and Boggs. Crazy, Hall of Famers. Yeah, largely inner circle guys. And I think that I don't know if lock is the right word, but I think that the fact that the voting membership of the Baseball Writers Association is getting younger and a little more open-minded about uh, analytics. I think that that's only going to help Joey as he becomes eligible for the Hall of Fame in future years. I, think. I, I, I agree. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've really started thinking of, I was looking up Joey's numbers recently, as I want to do. And I think something that everybody really, it's, it's going to hurt for some people, but I think it is an adjustment that needs to be made. Is, is last year I did some research and wrote an article uh, for the Hardball Times about what effect likely did um, did segregated baseball have on player stats? Because, you know, in that circumstance, if you're, if you're say, Babe Ruth, you're getting an awful lot of at-bats against guys who would never see the major leagues if they let everybody play, right? Sure, absolutely. 
And so, yeah, I mean, it's real. It's a, you can, I, I took my best shot at calculating it and, and their, their numbers are inflated. You know, I, I think that any numbers pre-integration and really, frankly, probably pre-1960 have to be taken with a very heavy grain of salt. And I think the fact that um, since integration, the only players with a significant number of plate appearances who have a higher on-pace percentage than Joey Votto are Barry Bonds and Ted Williams. I think that tells you what you need to know. That Joey Votto is an inner circle Hall of Famer already. I, you know, I think I'm, listen, I think that's, I think that's fair. I think, I think every player who has been playing since 1960, if you're comparing them to guys who played before that, you need to give them a bump. Yeah, listen, I, you know, I, I just think that as, as it, time goes on and people become more and more aware of just how important it is to not make outs, as, yeah. as the voters uh, come to accept that, you know, he's not going to be a unanimous choice, but he's getting in. I really believe that. I think so, too. Hooper, and I will be in when it happens. Yeah, really. Hooper Powell asks, seeing as it's such a crazy year and the Reds can't hit, should they all start batting opposite-handed? Listen, I'm embracing the chaos. I'm all for it. Can't hurt. Except for Tucker Barnhart. He's not allowed to ever bat right-handed again. I mean, right. That's his whole thing. Let's not mess with his, let's not mess with his, his new, his new method, but sure. Hooper second. (laughs) I like it. Hooper second question. Also favorite concert ever, not including Dave Matthews band or the Eagles, Chad. So favorite concert ever. My answer to that would not be either of those bands. First of all, I would never see the Eagles because they're horrible. Um, they're down there with Bruce Springsteen. My favorite concert ever was, uh, was 98, I think, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers in uh, at Bristow, Virginia. Oh, my goodness. So My buddy lucked into second-row center seats. Oh, gosh, it was amazing. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Favorite concert ever, Jason, what you got? First, we have to take a minute and just, I mean, it, Chad, you know, you, you just make, make a fool of yourself every time with the spring team slander. He's awful. It's, it, you, you continue to be a disappointment to humanity. All right, come on, um, throw that speedball by me. I, I, I encourage you to improve your takes. It's <laughs> not going to happen my, at this point. My best concert ever. Um, I was uh, lucky enough, I, I encourage people to Google this. Um, I went to the first Crossroads Guitar Festival, which was held in Dallas over the span of three days. And the list of acts that I got to saw and got to see play with each other over those three days is just incredible. Um, but for anybody who is a blues fan or guitar fan, on the second night, um, there was a, a, a group all got up on stage together that was, was Eric Clapton and Buddy Guy and Robert Cray and um, Jimmy Vaughn and Hubert Sumlin, for those who know who Alan Wolf is, Hubert Sumlin was his guitar player. And I was 15 feet away from the stage. That was a real good one. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. Buddy guys are crazy. The lineup for those three days was just the most insane lineup. It was the most fun I've ever had music-wise. Well, that's impressive. You think they're better than uh, Preservation Hall Jazz Band? That's a that's a band. You are an odd man, Chadwick. 
Uh, favorite concert ever. Actually, I changed my mind. It's a group called Kentucky Ruckus. Go look them up. They're great. All right, anyway, um, Springsteen sucks. Rich Thompson asks, Dear Chad and Jason, in your opinions, what's the biggest story as of today about the Reds? He lists uh, six here, and uh, I can run through them quickly because we've basically talked about all these. So let's, what's, your, what's the biggest story as of today about the Reds? Number one, the impressive starting pitching. Uh, Gray Castillo-Bauer and the Bauer and the caliber of the other starts by Antone and Molly. The bounce back of Joey Votto at the plate so far. Solid contributions of Mike Moustakas. Number four, the unreliable bullpen. The terrible, no, horrible, no-good bullpen. Number five, Nick Castellanos' hot start. Current home run streak or Suarez's slow start? I think we probably agree. What's the biggest story as of this moment about the Reds so far in 2012 out of those? Oh, man, it's got to be the starting pitch. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, that that's the headline with this team because it's just it's almost unprecedented in Reds history. But I, but I will say this. If, if Joey gets to the end of the season and has what we would all think of as vintage Votto numbers – that's going to be a big story, and that's going to bring a lot of happiness to many of us. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, if we get to the end of the 60 games and Votto is vintage Votto, yeah, that's great. Um, good question coming up here by Gary Hilliard. Gary asks at patreon.com slash redlegradio, with the Reds off to an even better start than in 2012, they're 5-7 and seven now. In 2012, they were 4-8. and eight. Should we expect this year's team to surpass the 2012 Regular season, regular season winning percentage of five ninety nine. Listen, they're going to win more games than they won in two thousand twelve. I know it's only a sixty game season, but I'm telling you, they're going to do it. They'll find a way somehow. So I think uh, Gary, I think the answer here is we, Jason, and I both agree. Yes, we should expect the Reds to surpass uh, the two thousand twelve team and uh, land in one of the elite teams in Reds history. All right, one more question from for viewer mail here. Jason, do you like the viewer mail, Jason? I love listener mail, Chad. Always been a fan of the listeners. Everyone's favorite viewer, other than uh, Phil and Joe Farsing, I guess, and, I don't know, Skyler and Thomas and everybody else. But among the uh, among the, the favorite fans, Risto Neely. Risto's question is this. I'm frustrated with the Reds, so a question for the king of popular culture. He's talking about you, I think, Jason. If you had the choice between these concert packages, which would you choose? Now, he gives me five concert packages. So let's decide which is the, the one you would choose. Number one, Woodstock. And we're talking about going back in time and with uh, Bill okay. and Ted and, and going to Woodstock. Number two, A Season's Pass to the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. Number three, A Season's Pass to Bill Graham's Fillmore West in 1969 San Francisco. Tickets to every date on the next Dave Matthews Band tour. Or number five, a VIP all-inclusive pass to the Country Music Fanfare in Nashville. Uh, I'm going to say give me the Fillmore there. I lean towards uh, the Fillmore, um, but I think I may go Woodstock, just to be at Woodstock. You know? I mean, that would be cool, but boy, who would the Fillmore? And that's for a whole season. I don't know what all the concerts were in 69, but... I know what a few of them were, and I would love to have been there for that. Yeah, seasons pass. That's pretty good. Uh, New York Philharmonic, you know, fantastic. But I don't know that I ever want to go back to New York again, given the way things are. Um, Dave Matthews Band tour. Come on, yes, I like Dave Matthews Band. Everybody likes to the, the, the mock me. I go. I've been to a number of Dave Matthews Band concerts, but no, I don't want to go. Everyone on the tour. Uh, an all-inclusive pass to the Country Music Fanfare in Nashville. 
I'd rather listen to Bruce Springsteen. You know, what's what's funny, Chad, is the way that all of the things that you don't like to listen to are all better than Dave Matthews. <laughs> I'm not denying it, except for Bruce Springsteen. I liked country music for two years in the 1990s. And that's that's all I ever liked, the country music. Perhaps that, you're the your many mistakes. That Alan Jackson? The hot down there on the Chattahoochee. Anyway... <laughs> Jason, I think we probably need to stick a pen in it, don't you? I think I think we've accomplished our goal of, of somehow convincing people that we're worthwhile. I don't know about that. All right, he's Jason Lennon at Jason Lennon on Twitter. I am uh, at Dotson C on Twitter just during Reds games only, not any other time during the day. And don't tweet to me about anything other than the Reds. Uh, we're at Red Leg Radio. Go to redlegnation.com every single day. You can support the podcast, as I mentioned, at patreon.com slash redlegradio if you wish. If not, we're still coming to you every Friday free of charge right here on this feed. Jason, always great talking to you, buddy. Always a pleasure, Chaddington. For Jason Linden and Micah Biceps, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.